gotta give the people what they want. Another beer. Welcome everyone to the Sports Project. So this is Breck Snyder and Peter Meach. I'm pouring a lovely beer at 1.49 in the morning, so you can appreciate that. We're goddamn tired over here. <laughs> Fucking way tired. But so we've had a few questions come in. Uh, to the podcast, and you know, we talked about it. We want to make sure that we still touch on them. Um, so we have three questions that we're going to go over. Um, we'll call them from our fans, our fans, Peter, or maybe just friends. Just, man, whatever, dude. <laughs> I'll start with F. <laughs> Either way. So the first one is from our friend Matthew D. Hamilton, um, and we'll let him ask this. So here we go. Hey, fellas, Matthew D. Hamilton here. Thanks for the plug on your show, and Breck, I look forward to having you on my show, Force of Nature, but I got a sports-related question I want to ask you. This might be something you're not really used to, but what are your thoughts on Ronda Rousey now going to the WWE? I personally think that it's gone really well so far. She's already the women's champion, and fans have taken to her, but yeah, what are your thoughts on it? Hey, Peter, I'll let you start. Well, before we dive into the question, what does he mean by plug? Does that mean like... Well, just because we gave, we gave him a uh, plug we gave about him his a shout show. out? Yeah. Maybe I'm just not cultured enough nowadays. I'm getting old. What do you mean cultured? You, you were on... That's a pretty we were... cultured word. Pl- like plug-in. Oh, God. You know? All right, we'll jump into the question. <laughs> <laughs> Again, 1.49 a.m. In, in the morning. Breck and I are hella tired. But we're doing this because we actually really enjoy this. So it is a good time. Um, I don't really have a lot to say about this. The only thing that the only thing that kind of interests me within this topic is just how Ronda Rousey was just this famed figure within the UFC. People were actually more excited to see, you know, her fight than any of the men fight. You know, she drew bigger crowds. Um, brought in a lot more revenue for the UFC. Um, And then all of a sudden, it just all went downhill. You know, I think as soon as she got that one loss under her belt, it just kind of like pummeled downhill for her. Um, I will say that I'm very happy that she's actually doing something. You know, it sounds like it's going really well for her. And I think it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it's kind of like our conversation with Tiger, but maybe not to that extreme um, where everyone's kind of rooting for her. It's kind of like that comeback story, but not in the same way, even though it is uh, WWE, a lot of it's staged, all of it's cha- staged. Yeah, literally when we're mm-hmm. doing research on this beforehand, she says there was just like a, a question asking, is the WWE scripted? I mean, obviously we all know, but it's just a little more... I don't know. I appreciate the fact that she just came out and said, yes, it yeah. is scripted. Yeah. Because it seems like people hold back from that, but I don't know. And again, it sounds like, you know, it's everyone's rooting for her. You know, even people, someone like me who is an average watcher of the UFC, and I definitely supported her. I thought she was just, I thought she was something special, you know, and especially it was one of those things where it's like, you're allowing women to be at the forefront of this sport that was so heavily dominated by male males. So it was kind of interesting to see that. Like it's kind of like it's it's a similar story. It's kind of interesting because it's a similar story to Tiger Woods, where Tiger Woods was this huge athlete, you know, untouchable. Like as soon as he jumped 
onto the field, you knew he was going to win. She was kind of the same way. She jumped on that octagon, you knew that she was going to win. Um, and then all of a sudden, it's just one of those things where it's just like she took that one loss. And it's for me, it's like she took that very seriously. And that caused like a downward spiral. But again, we're all rooting for her. So I'm I'm pretty pumped that she's actually doing something like this, for, for my opinion, um, because I think people need to see more like her. I think she's in a very empowering individual and a very powering female. And I think we could use more people like that. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it's. It seemed like it was more of a business move, in my opinion. Um, I, I think, you know, she talked very highly of herself and like viewed herself as one of the best. And yeah, you know, she definitely was in the UFC there for a while. Um, I mean, she was the best. She was she, the only only one. Like I, I can't name a, another single female fighter. Yeah, but then when I, she, when she came out, but she, she was, was probably the most publicized one for sure, right? easily, um, easily. But I mean, there's definitely others that have been just as good if not better but they for whatever reason don't get the the publicity that she did but i mean she was the former ufc bantamweight champion um but yeah i think it was i think it was a loss or two and two. she got like completely like ko dude and i remember that and just dropped her and there all the memes started coming out and it was like it very embarrassing for her uh, is, that, is that first loss that really from from the looks of it really took a toll on her you know she wasn't used to losing yeah she wasn't used to being put in that position you know what i mean yep so i don't know i think you know going to the wwe you're really becoming you're becoming a star you're becoming an attraction like it's, it's and it's every week yeah. you're there you know what i mean whether you're wrestling or not so it's like a different type of entertainment you know what i mean yeah it's like and i mean if she's already the the women's champion i mean you know, again, it is scripted. What does the WWE really think that, you know, this is going to be? Are they just riding this wave for now? And how long does this career actually last? So, I mean, I think it's it's cool. She's staying relevant. I do think it was a, bus- a business move. Um, obviously, you know, it, it's still... People still do get injured within WWE. There are freak accidents, but I think... At the end of the day, you know, like getting kicked upside the head in UFC probably isn't mm-hmm. what she wanted i don't know it's uh, i don't know it, it's cool we'll see what comes out of it i think i i agree with you is definitely a business move you know definitely i mean it's revenue in her pocket right so it's definitely a business move on her her sense but for me personally i enjoy the move because it's something it's not necessarily like oh she's doing good she's winning we all know it's scripted um but at the same time i just think we need more people like her we need more empowering female figures that can help drive the youth the way she did because the when she was in the ufc when she was at the top that's all the all the talking points were about her it wasn't about mcgregor it wasn't about anyone else but her yep okay like i said we have uh uh, not a whole lot to say on that maybe that's something we can follow up a little bit more on but matt we appreciate the question um, so moving on, let's see. Thanks for plugging us in, bro. Appreciate it. Next one is from another good friend of mine, uh, Buddy Coleco. Oh, oh yeah, fan, fan, fan. our fan. Coleco. Not a friend. We don't know him. <laughs> Just some guy. <laughs> He's a fan. A fan, yeah. Um, so he actually has two questions. The next two ones. So um, we're gonna listen to this one first, and we'll talk about it. This one's based off of Carson Wentz. I appreciate you guys touching on my last question there. Um, 
I got another question for you. Just want to know what your thoughts and predictions were on the Eagles versus Colts and the return of Wentz. So, again, he asked two questions. We wanted to talk about Carson Wentz initially. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, coming off of his ACL and LCL tear last year, um, you know, going into camp, I know Carson Wentz was really trying to make a, a week one start. It just didn't seem like the Eagles were ready to do it. I mean, you have Nick Foles, who's your Super Bowl champion. Uh, I mean, MVP, I should say. And you just think, okay, you know, we can still win games without Carson Wentz. Let's not hurt the guy that we drafted in the first round. You know what I mean? So um, I I think it was smart on the Eagles' part to play this out and just let him get healthy. You know, no no reason to rush it at this point. But what, you know, just looking at the film uh, before this, it's interesting to see. I didn't watch this game live. I don't know if you did. Mm -hmm. But... For me, it looks like Carson was pretty comfortable moving laterally. He was very elusive and stepping up in the pocket. It didn't seem like his knee was bothering him by any means and you know, made some pretty big throws as well. So I don't know. What, what are I, your thoughts? I think it was a pretty smart move on the organization to not start him week one. I'm sure he was capable of doing it. But like you said, they had a Super Bowl MVP uh, playing for them. And there's really no need to rush him. There's no really no need to risk him re-tearing it or getting a different type of injury. Um, he, I was actually quite shocked at how well he was moving in the pocket, especially laterally. As soon as pressure started coming towards his way, he was able to move left and right pretty smoothly. Um, I think he has something to prove because of how well Nick Foles played in the, um, Super, in the, in the Super Bowl yeah, and well, even in the playoffs, playoffs too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think I think normally like when you have teams that won the Super Bowl, there's kind of like that down year, right? Because they've won it. Um, I don't really see the Eagles having a down year because they have a quarterback, their quote unquote leader, which is what the quarterback is. He has something to prove. He still has something to prove within the fans, within the football fans in general, and within the organization because they. Because they just literally won the Super Bowl with with the backup quarterback. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's hard for me to say because I'm a Cowboys fan, so it's a division rivalry. But um, it it seems like it's a pretty plug-and-play system with the people they have in place. Again, Mm -hmm. Nick Foles, I mean, yeah, he had a shitty uh, preseason. But, I mean, he obviously, again, we've talked about already, he's the Super Bowl MVP, can play just as well. Um, Carson Wentz is the guy of the future, someone that you want to protect. So I think it's very, very important to do exactly what the Eagles did with him. And comes back strong. Again, he went 25 for 37 for 255 yards, a TD, and one interception. Mm-hmm. So um, not a, like, I mean, I like seeing the... Solid com- numbers. Yeah, completion Solid percentage. Numbers. Yeah, is up Especially there. for his first game back from an injury, right? And yep. he looked so confident in the pocket. Yeah. He even looked really confident at running the ball, even when there was pressure coming onto him. You, you would see most quarterbacks, after coming back from such a crazy tear like that, of the ACL and, and uh, LCA, you would see them being a little bit more hesitant within the ball, within, you know, like... As soon as pressure came their way, they would go down or they just throw the ball away. You know, he felt very comfortable within the pocket. He was very aggressive, and even even as they scored touchdowns, he was it, he had that mentality of like I have something to prove to someone, right? And 
I kind of admire him for that. He is definitely the wave of the future for the Eagles and hell, maybe even for the NFL. Um, he's he's an amazing talent, and I think I'm pretty sure I have this feeling that the Eagles are going to be in the same position that they were last year. I don't know if they're going to make it to the Super Bowl, but I think they're going to make it pretty far within the playoffs. They have a good defense. Their defense had a fourth down stop, stop in uh, fourth and goal against the Colts. They played really well. This was a very well-balanced game. It was definitely a back and forth between offense and defense. The defense played really well on both sides, um, but it was definitely one of those games where it's like these two teams were equally matched, and it was just a matter of like who was going to outlast who. Um, and it came down to the very last play of the game, and the Eagles defense showed up but when it comes to Carson Wentz I'm extremely impressed with what I saw from the footage that we looked at from the highlights that we looked at and even watching the game itself I was very impressed with his poise within the pocket he didn't look like he was scared it almost looked like he never had an injury at all he has that sense of fire and I think because of that injury he now has like this new sense of like belonging where he has to prove something to the organization because again Foles was the one that took him to the Super Bowl. He is the reigning MVP. Yep, absolutely. So next week they play, or I guess here in a few days, tomorrow actually now, Jesus Christ, um, the Eagles are playing the Titans. And I think this is an interesting game because the Titans, they seemed a little banged up. You know, they ended up beating the Jags 9-6. to six. Wow. You know, and that's, I don't know, that's interesting. It's just, it's funny how a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars can go from beating the Patriots and maybe just the Patriots aren't that good this year and, you know, have such an off week. But it seems like just in general, this was, that game was off for them. So we'll see how the the Eagles play against the Titans. Um, it'll, it'll be really interesting to see how Wentz comes back and if he's going to have some some big numbers. So I guess question for me to you, Peter, is what do you project Carson Wentz is going to do uh, in terms of stats? How many touchdowns do you think he's going to throw? <sighs> Man, I don't know. That's a tough question. <clears throat> I think he is going to pick off where he left off um, last year uh, before the injury. What was he at? I can't remember what he was at. Um, but he was definitely taking the taking the um, uh, the league by storm last year before his injury. Yep. And I think he's just going to leave off where he, he, he where he left off. He's definitely that type of a quarterback. And, again, he's very young. But he's definitely the type of that quarterback that can sling it. Yeah, and throw he, it. he seems he very can, mature, though, too, as well. And on top of that, he has an understanding of when he needs to run and when he needs to stay in the pocket. And I don't think a lot of young quarterbacks really have that understanding. They're very quick to get out of the situation and go into it. He does a really good job of stepping into the pocket as the cop, as the pocket starts to collapse around him. He does a really good job of stepping into the pocket and staying within the pocket until he, until uh, the wide receivers make that open run. Yeah. And you know, I think that's a good point too, because they talk about, you know, the, the quarterback stepping up in the pocket and you know, it's, it's definitely a skill that you have to pick up. I think a good example is, uh, Kirk Cousins last night or two nights ago against the the Vikings or the Vikings Rams game, uh, you know the Vikings are having a chance to you know have a final drive and you know Kirk Cousins doesn't feel that pressure 
collapsing on him and doesn't mm-hmm. step up in the pocket yep. and ends up fumbling the ball yep. within the two-minute drill. So it's definitely something I think he just naturally has and has a, a knack for. So He has like a really good understanding of the game. He has an understanding of how much time he has. He has like that internal clock. They always talk about the internal clock, you know, the ticker. Um, he really has a good understanding of how long he really has within this pocket and when he needs to really let go of the ball. And in certain situations, he does a damn good job of knowing when he can just take off. And he has the feet to take off. He's a fast, quick quick individual, right? So he has an understanding of the pocket and he has an understanding of when to take off. And I think that's what makes him deadly. And, and again, a lot of this stuff is very new to him. You know, like the dude from... Uh, uh, Kansas City. Oh, um, Pat, Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes. You know, like, I'm, I'm kind of interested more into seeing, like, what at towards the end of the season, once the NFL mm-hmm. defenses start to figure him out and start to get an understanding of where he's at, I think Carson Wentz has proven to us that he, even with when defenses have an understanding of what he's going to do, he can still pick them apart. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree with you. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And that's actually something I'm thinking about as well because a good example will be, you know, Dak Prescott. Has, did he just have like a killer rookie season where no one could figure him out? Is Patrick Mahomes going to have something similar? Um, Carson Wentz just seems to be a better overall quarterback in, in that sense. Um, again, we've talked about it before, though. I think Dak Prescott is hindered by the play calling, but I, I think that's the one thing about the Eagles' offense is they're very dynamic and they have a lot of options of what they can do, um, and they're not afraid to hold back on that. Whereas Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, you know, he's a gunslinger. They, he's he's a playmaker, and you can't really count for someone that you've never seen. So, and it's going to be interesting too, just like you said, with Prescott, everything was brand new. The NFL defenses didn't have a chance to really figure him out until the end of the season. And that's the one thing that you don't have within college that you have within NFL is these defensive players are very smart. They have an understanding of what you do best and how how they can take that away. And I think that's an example of what you're seeing. There's a plethora of things that are happening within the Cowboys organization where it is the offense not really allowing him to do what he needs to do but at the same time his rookie season he was tearing it up right and I think it's just a matter of the NFL defenses catching up to him and I think Carson Wentz has proven to us that um, even once the defenses do catch up to what he's doing and and they build a resume of Uh, or a plethora of work to get an understanding of what he's going to do next and have an understanding of what he likes, what he doesn't like, how they can interrupt him and how they can uh, bug him to the point where he can potentially throw interceptions or throw bad passes. I think he's proven to us that uh, he can adapt and most of his flaws he can actually mask and turn them into strengths as well. He has that sense of growth within him. So I'm interested within some of these younger quarterbacks to see what they do. Even though he's still very young, he still has a lot lot to prove within the system and within the league itself. I think he's answered all those questions. And even as the defenses adapt to him, he's still able to do what he needs to do to get, to get a win. So, and this brings up a good point, you know, just coming back from an injury, uh, and maybe this is a conversation for another day, but I just want to touch on it is, you know, the... How do quarterbacks, you know, protect themselves a little bit better? I mean, a lot of times the ACL, LCL injuries are non-contact plays. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but it's interesting because Jimmy Garoppolo for the 49ers actually just tore his ACL last week and it was on kind of a freak play. I mean, He's I don't running know. Running out of bounds. Running out of bounds and he was fighting to get maybe like an extra, extra yard or two, two and and it was just a weird angle ends up getting hit and just drops, you know. And that's something that, you know, that organization put a lot of time and effort and money into him um and and now they're going to be without him. So you know, they don't have a, a Nick Foles behind him to, you know, mm-hmm. carry the team from there. So it, it's really interesting to see how, I mean, do you think people end up learning from those mistakes? I mean, that's, that's just the nature of the business, right? You want to, you want to compete. You, the, the entire purpose of football is you hitting someone else, you know? I mean, okay, it's not the entire purpose, but the main point is me stopping you from getting to this certain point. And the way that I do that, do that is by tackling you and hitting you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very competitive, right? Like I, I, I brought it up today to a friend of mine and we were talking about that injury and it's, it's funny because, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo had played behind Tom Brady for so long and, you know, Tom Brady's not necessarily a runner by any means, but oh, sure, you yeah. you know absolutely in that situation he knows his value and he's not willing to take the extra hit. Yeah, just get out of bounds. Yeah. So um, unfortunately, I think Jimmy Garoppolo learned the the hard way. But um, and, and again, that's just the nature of the business. You know, yeah. like those are the risks that you take as an organization. You know that one from week to week to week, any sing, any player on that field that jumps on that field has the potential of getting hurt because it is a physical sport. It's a violent sport. And that's, that's the nature of the, the industry. You know, like you take that risk every single day and you do things to minimize that risk as much as you possibly can by educating, especially some of these younger ones like Wentz, like Patty Mahomes, um, Prescott, and then even the dude from tech, the Texans, what's his name? Oh, Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson. Um, by just educating these guys like, hey, this is not college. You can't just run over these kids or run around these kids. These are NFL athletes that are, especially on the defensive end, that are extremely fast and extremely knowledgeable at how to get to you as fast as they possibly can. Um, and it's just educating them to minimize that risk of like, Hey, you know, there's a battle, there's a battle tomorrow as well. Not just today. Okay. Awesome. So the next subject here, we actually had this question, like we mentioned on anchor. If you guys listen to us on the anchor app, you can ask us a question, uh, record it, you know, whatever it may be. We want to, we want to have as many of these as possible, right? Um, we, this helps us branch out a little bit more and talk about things that we're not super comfortable with or that we're not very accustomed mm-hmm. to watching. So it really just gives us a little bit more perspective into what everyone else is watching. Um, but this one actually, uh, hits close to home and this is based off of the 2014 college football playoff. Uh, maybe just the college football playoff in general, but I think there's a lot to be said for the 2014 and the 2016 college football playoff. So here's the original question. We actually played it a few episodes ago. All right, so my question is to you, Breck and Pete, is is there a way, do you think, is there a way for there to be a better system as far as picking out uh, top seeds for competing in the national championship? Um if so, and, and how would they go about doing that? 
Okay, again, that was from Coleco. Coleco, we really appreciate the the question, and we encourage everyone else to to ask even, us. Even if you're a friend, you don't have to be just a fan. You don't even have to just be a fan, dude. Yeah. You can be a like, friend, too. You can be a friend. I mean, I'm sure we have some friends that listen. I'm sure it's, you know, not all our friends that just listen to this. <laughs> so, We're fans. It's, we, I mean, we've talked about... Sarcasm. <laughs> we talked about this one a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Um and just looking at the stats, I mean, I remember all of this when it happened, when the college football playoff first initially started, uh, and we're talking about the 2014 um, year, 2014 going into 2015. So we're, you know, this we can, was... We can even, we'll even touch on 2016 and 2017 as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and then what we're going to do is we're going to give you what we think would be the best option um, as of right now. You know, maybe mm-hmm. you can expand it. But as of right now, for those that aren't familiar with the college football playoff, it is four teams that are selected into going into this playoff bracket, uh, two games to win the national championship. Mm-hmm. Now, how those teams are selected is anyone's guess. You know, it could be... A number of reasons why you get in. If you go undefeated, you would think that would get you in. We learned last year that it actually doesn't. Um, UCF. UCF. I mean, I understand people's argument why a team like UCF shouldn't be in there because the caliber of teams they play isn't to the standard of everyone else that's in there. But if if that's what we're telling people, then what's the point of even playing the whole season? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and two, it's for me, it's like... I've already seen Alabama, Georgia. You know, I want to see a team that doesn't have a chance of, or a team that's in the regular season doesn't have the opportunity to play that team. And I want to see these two teams duke it out. So we have a clear understanding of who the winner is going to be. We've already seen Alabama, especially for, we're talking about 2017, 2018 playoffs. We saw Alabama play Georgia. They're in the same conference. You know, to, to us, it's like I want to see a team that has the opportunity to play this team. And this team's highly ranked. This team's highly ranked. They're both undefeated. I want them to, to play each other to see who the winner is. And for me, it's like, I don't get me wrong. I think the playoffs is a step in the right direction compared to the BCS system that they had before, where it was basically computer-generated, human-generated, and then also topped the uh, AP poll and the coaches yep. poll yep. was in consideration as well. And then that led to them picking two teams and then those two teams would end up playing each other. I do think the playoffs is in a step right in the right direction because you do definitely have, well, what about number three and number four? You know, they're definitely deserve a chance of being one and two as well as, as one and two. I, I do think the playoffs is in the right direction. I do think that there is a sense that I think the main problem for me is the biases that they have on these big conferences, uh, the, the power, power five, um, the Pac-12, SEC, uh, ACC, who am I missing? Big 10, Big 12. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think the selection committee kind of has a bias towards those universities especially Ohio State. Um, I do think that there's that sense of bias within it, and I think we need to kind of get rid of that bias somehow, whether it's putting people in place that are not going to be voting on that sense of bias or whether it's 
finding a way to get those teams with get those teams to play those teams that are ranked highly as well. Um, I do understand that. That it's kind of tricky because you ran into these crazy scenarios. So, in um, 2014, TCU at the end of the season, um, the last game of the season, TCU was ranked number three, and they beat uh, they won their last game 55 to three. Against a two and ten Iowa State, two and ten Iowa State team, Ohio State, which at the time was ranked number five in the champ in, in their conference championship, beat Wisconsin fifty nine zero, and then Baylor was at number uh, six at the time. Um, so for me, I find it kind of ludicrous to say like, "Hey, this entire time this team was number three. Um, we're not going to put them at number three. We're actually going to push them out of the playoffs so we can fit this team that won their conference championship. Because at the time... And, and that's important, right? Yeah, they and won, that's important. Yep. They won their conference championship. Because that was the argument. And that was the argument that the selection committee made was, hey, this is important. You need to win your conference championship. And, and at the time, the Big 12 did not have a conference championship an actual game that was played, it was you know it ended up working out that TCU and Baylor we're were ta- co-champions. We're talking about one extra game. One extra game. So there was no game, and yeah. and since then they've actually added this yeah. this championship. Uh, but at the time, this was not in place. And then again, you know TCU had been bumped all the way to six after this. Ohio State eventually sneaks in and gets the vote to be the fourth team in the college football. And I see it I see their logic as is they have one extra win, they have one extra game that they played within it on top of them winning uh their conference championship. Now let's jump forward to 2016 and 2017 where our good friends the Ohio State University made it into the playoffs and how did they make it into the playoffs? They made it in they had one loss, but they did not play for the Big Ten Conference Championship. The champion at the t- the champion was Penn State, so they lost to Penn State at the end of the and season. And what was Penn State's record? Penn State's record was eleven and two at the time. So I mean, I get that. It's like I get it. They have a better record, but, but you but the, the a couple years a couple years ago, you allowed that same team. To make it into the playoffs, uh, because uh, because of your logic reasoning is, hey, this team won our. And I and I believe, and Ohio State fans can tell me if I'm fucking wrong, but there was in 2014, they were saying, you know, Urban Meyer was actually saying, you know, if you don't play for your conference championship, then you have no right to be in the playoffs. I, I actually remember that. And so it's like, eh, he didn't say a whole lot when they weren't playing then, and they still got it. Yeah, it was 2016, yeah. But, I mean, and I get it, like, oh, 2014 Ohio State won. You know, they won the, the title that, that year, but that's not the point. The point is is that this other team got snubbed. Yeah. And who are we to say that TCU probably wouldn't run the table then? Yeah, and you then never know. They had a then, very explosive offense at the time. And then I know this is like, we're not trying to make this an argument, but 2016, 2017... They got swept by Clemson. Well, they got shut out. But, yeah, it was – which I felt like was just perfect karma. Yeah. I mean, it, it was it was great. I mean, it was Clemson's year to win. Um, I think I think that this selection committee needs to put their all, all their eggs in one basket. You neither either need to say that, yes, conference championships are important, 
or they're and, not. Or they're not. Yeah. And you can't decide one year after another because I just don't think it's fair to some of these schools. I don't think it's fair to TCU, and I don't think it's fair to UCF. You know, and I don't, I, UCF is another discussion because they're not in the Power Five. You, they're making the case that their schedule is not good enough. Yeah, but here's the thing. I mean, schools aren't going to schools are not going to schedule a team like UCF. They're not going to have like uh, it's a, a risk. Yeah, every single game because that a loss like that could be detrimental to them. But then you have Alabama who plays Georgia State like the like second to final week of the season, and it's like, all right, pal, come on, like. And I get it. They're in the SEC. They're playing Georgia, Auburn. They're playing all these yeah, but we've high talked caliber. Teams. Yeah, we've talked about it. the The top half of the SEC is really good. the The bottom half of the SEC is trash. The point is, is that we've already seen, especially within twenty in in the last uh, uh, twenty eighteen, the last championship, the last playoffs, we already saw in the regular season. We already saw Georgia versus Alabama, and we knew who came out on top. So why is Georgia in, or why is Alabama or Georgia in the discussion for the playoffs? That to me just leaves more at the end of the season. Once we've declared the champion, that to me leaves more questions unanswered. That to me makes me think, well, what could UCF do? Yeah, I, I would love to see that. And here's the thing, I you know this is exactly why uh, people love March Madness so much, right? Because mm-hmm. the Cinderella team legitimately has a shot. Now we're not going to have a 64 team fucking playoff to get to that point in college football because it's a little more taxing and it takes you know it's done weekly they play weekly um and you don't even have some you don't have those what if moments at the end of the season where those question marks right well what if what if tcu would have got in what if ucf would have got in what if ohio state didn't make it in 2016 right and, and someone else made it into it you have like all these what ifs right because they're creating rules as they go one year they're saying this, next year they're saying this. And then what? at the same time, to me, I think it's extremely problematic that you had two SEC teams in it. And don't get me wrong, like I think both of them deserved it. But I also think, from a sake of an argument, those teams already played. One of them lost to that team that, they just, that they're going to be playing in the playoffs. Like I'm more interested as a fan, as a person that's gonna watch this sport and watch the playoffs, and I don't have a dog to root for, which is gonna be a lot of people watching the playoffs. I'd rather see a UCF team play an Alabama team and see what they can do. Yeah, I'm not. That saying, to me is more interesting. I'm not. Yeah, but unfortunately, I think I I kind of disagree with you in the sense that the college football playoff is better than BCS. Um, no, I no, a, I agree with that. It's a step in the right direction, maybe. But I still think at the end of the day, like these people are picking who they want there. They know exactly how much teams are going to bring to the table as far exactly. as ratings, which equates out to how much money they're going to fucking line their pockets with. So, unfortunately, I think we're stuck with that. But you know, what, what do you? So, do? what do you think? Of, what do you think a solution is that? So, you actually raise a really good point where. These people, these people that are selecting these teams, the selection committee is putting in a consideration of, hey, this fan base will bring in more revenue for us mm-hmm. than fan base of UCF. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you fix that? Well, 
I mean, even for the solution that I have in mind and that we discussed before this, I don't even know that they would put UCF in the conversation still, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. So to give everyone an idea on what we had talked about, um, you know, the the way that we feel that you could at least fix it or get it in the right direction is, A, you need to have clear guidelines on how you get there. And if you're not a Power 5 school, they need to have clear guidelines on how they can qualify for this as well. Now... I think the number one and two teams, initially, they should get a bye. And this is going to be a six-team playoff. Six-team playoff. So number one and two are going to get a bye. Five and six are going to play each other, and three and four are going to play each other. This way, one is going to end up playing number five or six. You know, they're the lower-tier teams. It works out Uh if you're playing just a four-team now, and it's one versus four. And then you can go two is playing three versus four. Whoever wins that. I think that's a better system. One and two obviously deserve that bye week. But then you get really competitive games in that first round. And from there, you, you know, I just think you're having a more competitive well, and it, and it And it makes getting that one and two spot extremely important, it, right? That's more valuable than ever. And the reason why we came to this conclusion of a 16 playoffs, we kind of talked about this and mapped this out and kind of ran with some what-if scenarios. The reason why we felt a 16 playoff was a solid pick. Now, I know you're going to get years where there's going to be like eight teams that are going to stand out. But for the majority of it, you'll have six teams that are going to stand out within a season. You take a look at 2014, you know, what if uh, TCU made it in with Ohio State? You wouldn't have that dilemma of what happened in 2014. No, because they got their chance. Exactly. And then even within 2017, or not 2017, 2018, you wouldn't have the dilemma of keeping out a team like UCF um, out of the playoffs. You could easily slide them into the sixth spot and say, okay, show us what you got, right? And you can still have those big teams within it or those big schools within it as well. Because right now our issue is is this this selection committee is, is changing up the rules as they go from year to year. One year they're saying that conference title is important. Next year, they're saying that the record's important. Well, if the record's important, then why did not you? Why didn't UCF make it into it? Because they don't have a single, they don't have that one or two underneath the loss column. They have a zero. And then even within Ohio State, yes, okay, you win your conference championship, you make it in, or you lose your conference championship, it's your record. We cannot keep making up these rules as we go or changing these rules as we go. And we feel like that a six-team system. A six-team playoff really kind of gets rid of that because you always have a, about six teams that are going to be in that top spot. Yeah. You know, and where any one of those teams could be exactly, in the playoff. You know, so four allows for more of an error, whereas we feel like six is more. Now it's not going to be perfect. I'm going to admit that there might be years where you're going to get some weird things that are going to happen. But within what's happening within the playoffs right now, there's always something. There's always that huge talking point at the end of the season that that what if, that what if Ohio State didn't make it. 2014, it wasn't much of a talking point because Ohio State ran the table. But imagine if they didn't. And then you also have the 2016 where they got smoked by Clemson. You know, so I'm just like at the end of the season, I always have that what if moment. And I think that that 16 playoff, run 
will get rid of that for the majority of the point. It's not going to totally get rid of it, but I think we're going to get to a point where we're going to feel a lot more comfortable with what we see. Yeah, and if a team like UCF comes in and they get fucking smoked the first game, then oh that's well. It. They, yeah. they had a chance, though, uh-huh. for a national We gave them the opportunity. We gave them the opportunity <laughs> to say, prove, uh, prove, prove. prove to us what you got. Yeah, yeah. But we don't even do that now. So I think it's uh, just as a fan, it kind of it just bums me out that – you know we we have to deal with that and again it, you can almost count on every every year it's going to be the same four teams yeah from the same conferences four four to me is just such an odd number because throughout the season a majority of these teams have not played each other you know and you always have at least six teams that didn't play each other that mm-hmm. are going to be ranked up and they're going to all have similar records so for me, from a logical sense, it makes sense for me to push it to six instead of four. And I get it. We're giving you an extra game. But hey, you're talking about more revenue in your pockets. Yeah. That's the point of this. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so, you know, we want to hear your thoughts on this. You know, a lot of people have a lot to say about college football and how the playoffs should be set up. So, you know, please share your feedback. Again, you can do that on Anchor. Um, you know, let's see what everyone has to say. Um, and again, Pete, looks like you have something that you want to cover. Before we wrap up, I want to leave everyone with a magical quote. Now, this quote comes from one of my favorite movies of all time, Ratatouille. And I'm going to start making this a habit within the show because as you're driving to work, when are we going to put this out? Tuesday? Monday or Tuesday. Monday or Tuesday. As you're driving to work, Monday or Tuesday, I want you to have this sense of inspiration for yourself. Now, we're going to jump into this quote. This is a quote from Gusto. If you're familiar with the movie, he's a baller. He's the main chef within this that all this revolves, all the show revolves around. So you must be imaginative, strong-hearted. You must try things that may not work. And you must not let anyone defy your limits because of where you come from. Your only limits is your soul. What I say is true. Anyone can cook, but only the fearless can be great. And on that note, we'll let you get on to your daily task. Smooth. (laughs) Not going to lie, that was pretty baller. (laughs) 